At this point in our celebration of Lectio Divina, we are about halfway through the Gospel of Mark. And this is the point at the very end of the portion we'll be meditating on this evening, where the Gospel takes a decisive turn. As the Lord goes to the farthest, most northernmost point, up by Mount Hermon at the north end of the Holy Land to Caesarea Philippi. He then experienced, he asked people, who do people say that I am? And Peter makes the profession of faith that you are the Messiah. And then at that point, he then begins to turn and they start heading towards Jerusalem. And we have the first prophecy or the first mention of the crucifixion of the suffering and death of our Lord that lies ahead. In the earlier part of the gospel, the Lord is being questioned by many different people. From now on, he largely concentrates upon dialogue with his own disciples. He must prepare them for what lies ahead, that they might be not only his disciples, but eventually his apostles to reach out and to be his ambassadors to the world. And so it's a, it's a crucial point in uh, today's, uh, this portion in chapter eight of the Gospel of Mark. So now let us enter into the spirit of prayer, disposing ourselves to hear God's word, not only with our ears, but with our hearts, that we might be transformed by his power and become supple instruments of his grace in this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's get rid of all those distractions in our hearts, those, all that luggage and baggage that loads us down, that leaves no room in our hearts for God or for our neighbor. Away with it all. We need to travel light through this world and our brief journey so that we might be attentive to God. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We ask God's forgiveness for all those things within our hearts, all the sin that darkens the light of Christ and blocks out God's grace in our hearts, those things which are barriers, which prevent the Lord from coming within us, which blocked the pathway to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now they'd forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. 
And he cautioned them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they discussed it with one another, saying, We have no bread. And being aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands upon him, he said, asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes. He looked intently and was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. How can they hear what he is saying? How can they realize what he is about? Because they come at him to test him, to argue, to seek a sign. They demand proof. They demand some way in which he can be tested and proven, discerned whether he is true or not. 
we do not have a heart open to the Lord, then we put a barrier between us and him. That's why at the beginning of our time of Lectio Divina, we always pray the Lord to take away from us all of our sins to help us to let go of those things by which those attitudes that in our hardness within us, this questing, testing spirit. And we can be that with other people as well, not only with the Lord God, but how often do we approach others already ready to argue with them, to test? And what's the point of that? If we have that kind of disposition, we close our hearts and our minds to God and to our neighbor. What a way to live, what a way to go through life. Today we are celebrating All Souls Day. The day when we recall, tick, 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 time's up. The short, short journey through life. How sad to waste it with the spirit of the Pharisees. Censorious and sharp and testing and arguing. And, I mean, we can do it. I mean, that's the way to live. We can curl up into a little ball. We can be like a spiritual armadillo, just locked in like that. Tight and test ready to be protected against the world. But what's the point? Life is short. The Pharisees will find nothing from him. Let's ask the Lord's forgiveness for the times when we have had within us the spirit of these people, as soon as they approach him, begin to test, to argue, to probe his defenses, who have no openness, no trust, and therefore are unable to receive. How often is this true in my life of prayer? How often is this true in my relationships with other people, that I come at people this way? Let's ask the Lord's help in that. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and, sa and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Why does this generation seek a sign? No sign will be given to this generation, to these people who will not open their hearts to God. And he sighed deeply, there's not much that gets this reaction from our Lord Jesus. He sighed deeply in his spirit. This, this is one thing that he cannot abide. This generation that will not listen, that will be so negative, so sharp, so censorious. Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. He doesn't often do that, just leave. But this is something, you know, what are limits to the power of God? Well, there's no limit to the power of God. But if there's one thing that slows him down, if there's one thing that he just goes, oh, and he just leaves. It is the heart that is closed within itself. 
And this is true of us individually, we can be this way. It's true also of our life as a church, we can be kind of inward turning. You know, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, talks a lot about a self-referential church. And we can be self-referential Christians. You know, the old saying, so wrapped up in ourselves, we make a very small parcel. And so we have to move outward. Care for the gathered, reach out to the scattered. This is our, what we're meant to do. This is our approach as an archdiocese. To be attentive, to have a listening heart. That's what we need all the time. So that we may hear the voice of God. We may see his presence around us everywhere. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. What does this passage say to my head that I may understand? the will of God more clearly to my heart that I may relate more truly to other people and to God, to my hands telling me what I should do in my life, head, heart, and hands. Always when we read the sacred scriptures, it's good to ask those questions. What does it say to my head, my heart, and my hands? Now let's think about that for this passage of the self-referential, people who demand a sign from Jesus. And let's apply it to ourselves, not to somebody else. I know someone just like that. No, 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 no. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And not so much me, but my neighbor. And I'm more interested. Let's talk about my neighbor's sins. There's so many self-referential people around. Don't you notice? All those censorious people out there. All those people always asking for a sign over there and over here. No. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Let's think about that a bit. Now they've forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they discussed it with one another, saying, We have no bread. And being aware of it, Jesus said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12, and the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? He's almost more frustrated, well he is, with the disciples and with the Pharisees. He leaves the hard-hearted Pharisees on the shore and going across there, his own disciples are worrying about whether they've got enough bread. They've just been through two miracles of the loaves and the fishes just recently, and they're worried they're going to run out of bread. 
how easily they return to the, the narrow, the small, the picky. You know, they, they measure out their life in teaspoons rather than with the abundance that they have seen and experienced. You know, in the Gospel of John, where he doesn't at the wedding feast of Cain, he doesn't say, well, here's a half a bottle of wine. Oh, no, he says, hey, let's get some vats full of water. There's all the wine, just overflowing. You know, we can get so narrow, so we aim too low in what we expect of God and in our appreciation of God's action in our lives. They've just seen the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, and they're worrying about, we just got one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? I mean think. They had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. In a sense, they did. They had the bread of life with them in the boat. Jesus in the boat. And they were wondering about a loaf of bread. I should think about this, because tomorrow morning I'm heading off to the monastery and where they make monk's bread, so I'll, I'll t- think about that. A loaf of bread. I'll come. Actually, you know, once I went to this monastery, the Abbey of the Genesee, this is years ago, and I came back, and as I came through customs of the Canadian border coming back into Canada, they said, do you have anything to declare? And I had on the seat beside me, I said, five loaves. And the, the, the man said to me, how many fish? That <laughs> 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 actually happened. <laughs> anyway, we'll be careful about that. So they forgotten to bring bread. Okay, so they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, take heed. Now, he's always trying to lift them up. They're worried about a loaf of bread. And he's saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. The leaven that, that in a sense, corrupts because it's a kind of a fermentation. We the leaven of sin. That's why we have, you know, unleavened bread at the Passover, the leaven. But also leaven, of course, can be, uh, you know, the, 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 the leaven makes the whole loaf happen. I'll have to ask the monks about the details of this. They know how to do it. <laughs> but the leaven can be both a sign of badness in the sense of, of uh, kind of rot, but it's also, you know, leaven of goodness. Here it's pretty well badness. It's Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. We just saw just a few moments ago. That leaven of the Pharisees, what does he mean? You know, maybe it's that kind of, show me a sign. Give me a sign. That could be what it is. And the leaven of Herod, who was basically a tyrant. So they were surrounded. They weren't living in a perfect land. Neither are we. So uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Don't let your heart get corrupted by the leaven of the day, the leaven du jour, whatever it is. I mean, whether it's Pharisees and Herod are not exactly our main problem these days, but what is the leaven du jour? <laughs> what is the, the kind, the local one in our, our friendly neighborhood country or province or city or in our own neighborhood or our own home or our own heart? What is the leaven that corrupts? Beware of it anyway. Let's have a little unleavened bread here. So he's taking this concern about a loaf of bread and taking it far beyond. And then they still don't get it. They discussed among themselves, we have no bread. He's trying to lead them to see the the deeper reality. And they're still worried about the loaf of bread. We can become too narrow. We can aim too low. 
we can become so absorbed in things which are of no great purpose or value. With the Lord Jesus himself in their midst, they're worrying about this. Think of this in our own lives. Let's, let's just, how many times, and in what ways in our own life do we, do we just aim too low and get caught up in all kinds of things which are not really of great purpose or point or value? We just don't get the point. And I just, we're looking for our little, you know, we're polishing the deck chairs on the Titanic and stuff like that. We're just missing the point. Let's just think about that. Maybe make a little application. I know it is also our neighbor that does that all the time too. But let's just look at our own hearts. They've forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod. What is that in your life, my life? What is the leaven in my life that corrupts? What is it? Each one of us. We need to do, that's the good at the end of the day. I always use the old checklist. Pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony. Same one before confession. I won't tell you where I'd make the check marks each day. That's none of your business. And my, and my confessor won't tell you either. That's the benefit. Of the, but that's the, what kind of leaven do we have? Maybe just ask the Lord's forgiveness and also for the times we, we're a little dim and don't, we don't really see what he's talking about. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they discussed it with one another saying, we have no bread. And being aware of it, Jesus said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? They've seen the miracles, the wolves and fishes. Perhaps there may be here, one of the commentators writes, some reference to the universality of God's call. The 12, as in the 12 tribes of Israel, the, that dimension, the Jewish dimension, and the seven, a more universal number, maybe for the whole world, we don't know. But do you not understand? The significance of the loaves and the fishes, it wasn't about a loaf of bread. It was about the Lord and his abundant giving of self, caring for us, the provident hand of God. And it was surely about the Holy Eucharist, a foreshadowing of that, just like in the road to Emmaus. Did we, our hearts not burn within us as he spoke to us on the road? And they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And it wasn't about a bunch of carbohydrates in a plastic bag. There's something more here. You know, I think if there's ever, you know, sometimes people use sort of a little cliched expression these days. Our Lord is saying the last part of this, hello, you know, let's, do you not understand? I think he was in some ways more frustrated with them than he was with the, the Pharisees. So what, uh, you know, one of my uh, great heroes, the Duke of Wellington, I, I've referred to this before, he said about his soldiers, I don't know what they do to the enemy, but by George, they frighten me. <laughs> so 
<laughs> I wonder what he was thinking as he's going across. The, well, of course, our, my, our Lord and God is thinking, well, here they are. There's this crew, they don't even get it. And so I've got to evangelize the world with them. But he did, of course. And that's interesting, too. Maybe we should think about that for a moment. These are the ones he picked to be the apostles. Good grief. Why did he not pick somebody? Like probably the only one who understood was the, divine, uh, the beloved disciple. Maybe he didn't even understand. And the Lord didn't trust giving the church to him. Notice just a few moments from now he's gonna talk. Peter's gonna, first of all, proclaim and then be called Satan. It's the only apostle he ever called Satan that he entrusts the church. Because maybe it is people who don't understand like all those other people, but maybe the one in the mirror too. It's this little old you and me that God loves and trusts and cares. And to you, I commit the evangelization of the world. That's what he says to us. And we kind of go, duh. <laughs> maybe that's so that we don't get under the illusion that we're doing it ourselves. You know, we can, people get all frustrated with the church well, the more you look at the church, the more frustrated you get. Believe me, the higher in the hierarchy I've gone, I tell you. You know, it's all held together with scotch tape and string, you know, if you really think of it from a human point of view. I won't go any further down that line. <laughs> have to. But, you know, we're all kind of frail. And maybe that's a comforting message too, isn't it? That it is Christ's church. It is the Lord, it's not our... The church... Sometimes people these days especially seem to be worried that the church is a, a, a delicate glass ball of crystal and it might be dropped. Well, no, it's a rubber ball. It's not ours. We can mess up in a lot of ways and the apostles did, well, especially Judas. But maybe we should, I don't know, lighten up a bit. That's uh, verse uh, 21b, lighten up. No, but he said, do you not yet understand? And perhaps we can sort of read him in an irritated sense. What eyes do you not see? What ears do you not hear? Maybe he was that way, but maybe he was more this way and smiling and saying, oh, with eyes you still do not see, with ears you still do not hear. When are you gonna understand? Oh my, let's keep moving. Maybe, we hope. How frail we are, what fools we mortals be. And maybe that can help us to be patient with the other people around us who seem not to get things because we don't get them either, do we? It is with such as these that Christ conquers the world and the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod and everything else. With such as these, poor, you know, folk just don't get it. Thank you, Lord, for entrusting your faith to us, all of us in our frailty. And he came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Oh, they reached out to him and begged him to touch him. Like earlier in the gospel, you know, where they brought the man who was 
paralyzed and tried to get through and finally broke through the roof so he could touch him. They yearned for him, for all of this hardness of heart and all the rest. People are reaching out to him. And he took the blind man by the hand. Isn't that beautiful? He took the blind man by the hand. He said, come with me, come. And he led him out of the village. Just the two of them walking down the village street, Jesus and the blind man. This is so beautiful. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands upon him, he asked him, do you see anything? This is very physical, is it not? We don't normally talk about spitting on people's eyes. He may have gone like that rather than, we don't know. But spit is not normally, this is physical. This is sort of embarrassing for people who are not willing to accept the humanity of Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Sacramental, Christ the sacrament. And, and look what he's dealing with in the Pharisees and the disciples. He's working, talk about the past the shepherd having the smell of the sheep. There's Jesus down there putting spit on the eyes. He's, he's using this physical world, which he does not disdain. He did not cling to his equality with God, but emptied himself, coming into this world, even to death, death on the cross, and spit on the eyes, and all kinds of very human, human things. We, we must recognize, and, and taking someone by the hand, this is almighty God, walks through the village one day and takes the guy who's in deep trouble and walks with him hand in hand. Isn't that so beautiful? We don't think of it so much. We read this so fast, just like we pray the prayers so fast. That's why when I'm hearing confessions, I usually suggest, say the Our Father once, slowly. Think about it. And he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. So it didn't work right away. It's sort of gradual. This is the only gradual miracle in the Gospels, I think. Normally, just Jesus said, be healed, and the person pops up and away they go. But here it's taken a little time. And so he tries again. And then again, he laid his hand upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and he saw everything clearly. So it was a slow process. And why did Jesus do that? Because we know, I mean, he could raise people from the dead. He could do anything. He could walk on water. He could turn loaves, you know, multiplication of loaves. Why did he not just do it like that? Well, maybe because he wants us to realize he doesn't always, in fact, usually he doesn't do things like, like that. It's slow, life is slow. Life takes time. And we shouldn't expect we're kind of already being in the mystical reaches of paradise. We're all struggling along and, you know, with our sins, it takes time. That's why you need to get to confession a lot regularly and don't get frustrated if, you know, we, we just still, we don't see immediately. That kind of vision of Christianity where suddenly all is clear, that's not really the way it is because we're pretty frail and we need a little time. You know, be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. It's a good little sign to have. And so first the man sees 
pretty well, a bit better, but not all the way. And then with a little time, second try, he sees perfectly, but it takes a bit of time. Usually for us, probably for the healing of our hearts and the seeing with our eyes that the eyes of the heart and not of the body, maybe it takes more than two tries. Maybe it takes a hundred or a thousand. And the Lord is reminding us of that telling us perhaps to be a little patient. We're like plants that grow and we grow slowly. We're not like, like that. We're not a, a part that has changed quickly, but a plant that grows. And so is everybody else. Maybe we should be patient, take our time. My mom used to say, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can. It's seldom found in women and never found in men. <laughs> but you know, uh, he's just sort of doing it slowly. And maybe that's a good thing to know about our Lord Jesus, that usually when God operates and works with us, it's, you know, it takes a little time. Be patient. And we should be patient with other people and patient with ourselves and not be impatient that we're not patient enough. And so... He sent him away to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Why did he do that, I wonder? If he took him out of the village, this is a very private thing. Often he does his miracles with everyone around, but a few times he, he takes them out. Sometimes it's because there are all kinds of negative people outside. And that was the case, for example, uh, when he, he cured the little girl. He went in just with the, the family. But it seems here he just wants them, don't even go back in the village, just keep on going. Maybe it was because he didn't want people to not understand what it was all about because they generally didn't. This is the thing where he says to others, do not tell them yet that I am the Messiah. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he charged them to tell no one about him. Do not go into the village. He charged them not to tell anyone about him. He went on with his disciples way up to the north and into the pagan region. Caesarea Philippi is as far away from Jerusalem as you could get. It's way up. I remember going there once uh, in the Holy Land. And now it's all just kind of back to the original. There's this big cave and big rock. This is where, this huge, big, rocky place. It's where we hear more in Matthew's gospel about this incident, where after Peter made his profession of faith, Jesus said, you are Peter the rock. You look around, huge rock. You are Peter the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Now the rock turned out to be jello most of the time, but that's what the Lord is working with. But here we don't have so much. Mark is much more direct and not so developed. And who do men say that I am? They all got it wrong. And Peter got it right sort of right. He got the point that he is the Messiah. 
which was right. But we see soon he didn't quite understand what that meant. You're the Messiah, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the king, Christ the king. Every, you know, pretty soon, near the end of the year, we end off with a bang, not a whimper, at the end of the liturgical year, with the feast of Christ the Christ, king the king, Christ the king, which is pretty near, it's a pretty modern feast. It was only put in there by Pius XI in the 1920s because of what was happening in Mexico where the Cristeros, you know, they were the people, the good faithful Catholic people were, their motto was long live Christ the King. And I just, just today I was looking in on the internet, I saw a photo of Father Miguel Pro with his arms out like that being martyred. And his last words were long live Christ the King, viva Christ the King. And that's what Peter said. It's the point of the whole gospel. So we've hit the high point as far away from Jerusalem as you can sort of more or less get, Peter gets it right, to some degree at least. He, he recognizes what the Pharisees won't open their eyes to see and what even he doesn't fully recognize. He's sort of like the man who's being healed slowly. He kind of, at this point where Peter's seeing trees moving, He's seeing better than he did before and better than the Pharisees and better even a few minutes ago when he was in the boat. He's seeing that you are the Christ, but it's still like trees moving. It's not clear enough because he then thinks he's the Christ of victory and the Christ of power. And he doesn't realize the majesty that comes through suffering and through the deep love of Christ on the cross. He said, you are the Christ. And Jesus charged them to tell no one about him. Let's just in our hearts now spend a little moment of time in getting the point. You are the Christ, my Lord and my God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's just have a moment of head, heart, and hands and thinking. If we really believe in a deeper sense that Peter at this point recognizes, you are the Christ. It's not what he teaches so much, because a lot of what he teaches is found in the Old Testament and other places. It's that he teaches it. We communicate, we proclaim, not a message, but a man, but a, a man who is God, God with us. A person, the person, the second person of us, the Trinity. It is Christ who we proclaim, not Christianity. You are the Christ, that's the point. And at the end, in John's Gospel, when Peter again, who had denied him by this time three times, he said, you are the Christ, and then he runs away and he denies him. But when he comes back, Jesus asks him, have you not memorized the, you know, do you memorize the Gospel of Matthew? Do you memorize the sermon? No, he said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, the Christ? Not the Christ of power, Christ as a tyrant or Christ in icy majesty, but Christ the King, the Lord of our hearts, the Lord of the universe. He's not there yet. He's still trees moving, not the full picture, but it must be in our lives. Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. He's helping Peter and the others to see what the Christ means. The Christ itself, the Messiah, could be interpreted, was in fact by Peter, in that kind of, he's aiming low, like we have a loaf of bread. He's aiming low. He's seeing Messiah as someone with a palace in Jerusalem. And the Lord is trying to bring him beyond that, lift him up. He began to teach them that the Son of Man which is the one term he uses for himself, because Messiah or Christ could be interpreted in narrow, low, human ways. But the Son of Man is a term of majesty. It could mean just an ordinary person, but it's from the apocalyptic writing, Daniel. And it doesn't have all that political baggage connected to it. The Son of Man must suffer and be killed. This is what the Christ really means. So don't short circuit it, as in the boat you were thinking of all this and becomes a little loaf of bread. You've got to go deeper. We've all got to go deeper. I mean, shallow Christianity got no future. It's not what it's about. We can't afford it. We've got to go deep. We've got to go deep. Not just limit it to a little loaf of bread or not get beyond the vague trees walking or the Christ who is a political figure. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. You're aiming too low. You don't know. Do you not yet understand? It's remarkable that he said, get behind me, Satan. And we can imagine that's not a friendly term. How did this, that he, this is down here, this is about as clearly, this is Peter's gospel. Remember, you know, who would know he said that to Peter? Well, he said with the disciples there, but remember that this is the gospel of Mark the connectedness. You can hear the voice of Peter right through the Gospel of Mark. And he let it stand. Get behind me, Satan. You know, he called me Satan once. I'm afraid I deserved it. After, you know, Peter, even to the end, the famous story, he was, when the persecution came, he started to run again. You know, he's running out of Rome and sees Jesus coming back in, in there, and he says, Quo vadis, Domine, where are you going, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. And so he turns and returns and crucified on the Vatican Hill. And there, upside down, because he did not merit to be crucified like his Savior. He finally got it, but it was a long time. And that sense of gradualness we get in the, this passage is very consoling to us all, because we're all kind of slow in picking up what needs to be, and the Lord forgives us. He didn't toss the disciples out of the boat. <laughs> you idiots, you don't understand. I'm taking this boat on my own. No, 
he kept with them and he got to the other side and he kept trying, he, he kept loving them. So that finally, Peter, even Peter finally got it through that rocky head of his. And so may we. Let's pray the Lord to help us do that. That we may be deep disciples, true disciples, see him for who he is and not for whom we imagine him to be. Or deeply committed who say with our heart and mind and soul, you are the Christ and know what it means. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. And now they'd forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they discussed it with one another saying, we have no bread. And being aware of it, Jesus said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hand upon him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him away to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, but of men.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen.